2: UMFM this is thank god it's free range the Friday edition of free range radio I'm Michael also kicking things off for us tonight Stockholm Sweden group Dina Ogon with Milton from their new album Orion which an early contender for album of the year for me Uh, really strong stuff heavy Krongvin vibes on that track that we heard Uh, but Some Friends of Distinction and like Bubblegum Pop as well. Some jazzy stuff happening on the record. It's a diverse sounding thing. I really encourage you to check out more of it. Uh, I'm sure I'll be playing more of it as as time goes along. Uh, On the show tonight, a great lengthy interview with Grammy winner Allison Russell. She's coming to town to play the Park Theater on March 3rd. Opening for her is Asa Naby, uh, who I had the pleasure of interviewing when he played Folkfest. And I really encourage you to go early and catch his opening set. Watson is a fantastic record as well. But uh, Allison just recently won a Grammy for one of the tracks off of her album, The Returner. We spoke at length about that record. Uh, before that, though, I mentioned Dina Ogun kind of sounding like Krongbin. Well, they've got a new single that dropped this week called May 9th from their forthcoming record, Ala Sala. Can't wait for more from that act. Uh, keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFN. <laughs> All right, while well, bringing her latest record, a Grammy-winning record, no less, Alison Russell coming to Winnipeg to play the Park Theatre on March 3rd, playing alongside Asin Abbey as part of the Winnipeg Folk Festival Concert Series, and she joins on the line to talk. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much for having me on.
2: I uh, I read some really interesting stuff about the, the creation of this new record. F- first of all, that you conceive of this as kind of being the present in a, in a trilogy, the previous record being the past and working on something about the future did you conceive of things kind of ahead of time like that or did that something happen in the making of the returner that like suggested this was the present
3: it was in the making of outside child that i realized uh that it was the beginning of a larger of a larger uh suite of of albums and that it was in fact the first part of the trilogy um yeah so exactly outside child broadly the record Reconciling the past, returner, the present stealing joy from the teeth of turmoil. You know, love in the time of war right now, and then the next record, yes, will will be to do with the future, but also the way that the past is present and future always.
2: Now, hand in hand with this, you're writing a memoir. Like, does that impact things? Like thinking about things in kind of uh, a yes. narrative. Yeah,
3: definitely. I think the process of Writing this memoir, i'm I'm nearing the end of my of my manuscript. Um, yeah, it has been an unprecedented one in my life. It's my first long form piece of literature. You know, I've done essays and obviously songs and poems and um, editorial pieces, but this is I've never undertaken writing a book or a memoir, and it's it has been. Uh, quite a journey of excavation and learning and unlearning and
2: lots of emotional
3: psychological upheaval as well but in a in a ultimately generative and positive way i think
2: now you haven't shied away from kind of being autobiographical in your in your songs but is it a different sort of emotional wellspring that you have to draw from when you're writing something like memoir versus song
3: writing a memoir is like an eviscerating Ultra marathon compared to writing songs. When you write a song, there's always the solace of melody and music. You know, no matter how difficult the subject you're tackling is, there's always the solace of melody and music. And of course, in my case, there's the solace of uh, of community of the you know the circle the Rainbow Coalition, circle of collaborators that I get to play music with and record music with. And writing is is, is intensely isolating mm. um, and uh, and I've I've found it really really challenging, and I found it very challenging to go uh, between to switch between to sort of code switch between the external work and the internal work that's required uh, for for long form book writing.
2: So you mentioned the Rainbow Coalition. I know that you've surrounded yourself with a, a really strong coterie of, of of great artists. I know that at points like you've done kind of solo work, you've done. You know, small group. This is a a really like large group of people that you surrounded yourself with. Was that like intentional? Like, like you needed more people to kind of achieve what you wanted musically, or was that just kind of like an outgrowth of like finding yourself a mixed a group of people that you really gelled with?
3: Yeah, I think it's a. I mean, I think it's. I've been I've been following this path and this muse for twenty years. You know, since I was really doing. A version of the same thing in Pogril, you know, finding a community and, and touring together and cutting our teeth and, you know, having our transmission break down in every province and <laughs> learning, learning the road, you know, one painful mistake at a time. Um, and I think I've just been continuing to, to grow as an artist and and in my greater creative community as well. So, yeah, in a way, um, the way the, the that there are 16 other women on the returner is a testament to the fact that i am incredibly lucky to be surrounded by so much brilliance and it was a lot of fun co-writing and co-producing the returner along with my partner jt nero um, and and his brother they've got uh that they are dim together they are dim stars you know it was really a family affair it was like it's ongoing outgrowth from the days of Po Girl, from the days of Birth of Chicago, from the days of our Native Daughters. Like all of that comes with me, with everything I do, um, and and the and the, uh, and the community just grows, you know. And of course, we're not all out on the road all the time. You can't have 16 people on the road and 16 lives. Like for example, Sister Strings are working on their new album that Brandy Carlile is producing, and they're touring with Brandy and Larissa Maestro. Uh, is touring in Hosier's band. So we're we're going to get to have little reunions at different points when when I'm collaborating with Brandy or Hosier, but we're not all together all the time. But on this tour, it will be Elena Canlas on various keys, Ganessa James on bass, Cuy de Barra on drums, and Kiva Hopkinson on various guitars, and of course me on all my little weird nerdy things that I play, like banjo and clarinet and all of us singing. Um, and it's really, really joyful and a lot of fun.
2: When you're recording something like the Returner, are you thinking like downstream about kind of like how you'd have to play it live if you can't have all of these people with you all the time? Like is that part of the equation in terms of a song?
3: Uh, n- not in terms of the writing of a song. no. I, I-, I cross each bridge as I come to it. I think a song needs to be strong in its bones. Like If I have to be able to deliver it just by myself, if need be, for me to even bring it to the group in the first place, it has to have strong enough bones to be worthy of presenting to them, if that makes sense. Um, So it has to be able to live in a lot of different iterations. And I think that that is the strength and the beauty of songs. They have many lives. Um, not just in how they're presented, but in in the ways that people receive them and interpret them, I find it endlessly fascinating. It's sort of the closest to magic and alchemy that maybe all come in my life. And uh, I love the the challenge, but also the reinvigoration of reimagining these songs in different iterations with different um, spheres and circles of the Rainbow Coalition.
2: Now, you, uh, apparently in the, in the liner notes, you thank your daughter. Uh, and
1: yes.
2: so apparently she had kind of, I don't want to say an outsized influence on this record, but that like she <laughs> pushed you to not write sad songs about your sad past, as she apparently put it.
3: <laughs> That's right. Yes. That was her. That was one of her complaints about outside child. She very, very famous, famously with, for us and our family, um, we were we were in we were in l a actually. We were all in l a. Uh, jt. Nero, my partner, co-writer, co-producer of of The Returner, uh, had written a song for Tanya Tucker's new record uh, that Brandy Carlisle was producing a really beautiful song called City of Gold. And we were all in town. I think I was in town doing Jimmy Kimmel, and he was going to the studio to hear Tanya, and I got to go along and hear her record this song of his. And meanwhile, Brandy's wonderful amazing wife Catherine took one for the team and was hanging with all of the kids at the pool while we were in the studio and Ida has become you know sort of uh, tour buddies and uh, tour siblings with Brandy and Catherine's daughters Eva and Eli and so they're all playing in the pool and at one point Eli looks around and goes you know where's your mom Ida and and Catherine explains oh she's with your mommy they're in the studio you know they do the same thing and Ida interjected, oh, no, no, my mom doesn't do the same thing as your mom. My mom just sings sad songs about her sad past. And Catherine was trying not to laugh and sort of trying to redirect Ida and said, oh, but your mommy has such a lovely voice, Ida. You know, Ida said, yeah, 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 she's got a good voice, but let's face it, she even makes the Jingle Bells sound sad. And so we howled about this later, and, and at one point, I was writing at home, and Ida her dad and I were writing and she came in and said, why don't you guys write any bangers ever? And then walked out of the room. So, you know, we made sure to to write some bangers for her on this record.
2: How do you, you know, appease the nine year old who demands a banger? Like if you, if you haven't written in that way in the past, like, is that a, a challenge? Well, like,
3: that's not entirely true. I disagree with her. I okay, feel that there were bangers in Po Girl. There were bangers in British Chicago. She was just, you know, she was she was being hilarious and taking us to task. As, okay, which delights me. But yeah, no, definitely. I I wanted um, I myself I, this this album as in the present, as in re-embodiment, as in loving oneself and exactly as we are whatever the challenges and the traumas we've come through you know it i wanted this album to feel re-embodied to, to feel the movement just in in the musically even if you you know didn't focus in on lyric just how it made one feel to listen to it how it made one i wanted people to feel like they wanted to move
2: when they heard some
3: of these songs so I was already tending in that direction. That she threw down the gauntlet
2: for sure, for sure. Now you, you mentioned you're wanting people, even if they don't listen to the lyrics, like on a track like "Demons," which like has this propulsive nature to it. But if you kind of stop to listen to the to lyrics, it's not a joyful song necessarily. Whereas if you let the music kind of like propel you, you kind of feel a little embodied and em- emboldened.
3: Oh, I think it's joyful. I think it's so joyful to say that we don't allow the traumas of our past. We don't allow the people who try to dehumanize us. We don't allow these these false narratives of relative value and divide and conquer tired old strategies of colonialism that persist and persist and persist. Really a feudal times that persist and persist and persist. We don't allow them to dim our joy and we don't hide from them and we turn and we face them, whether they're internal uh, learned self-hatreds or whether they are dehumanizations put upon us by outside forces that we don't cower in fear from them. So I think it's very joyful in its way, but you're right. It's not light. Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking like to me, like fighting against demons, I guess because you ultimately win in the, in that fight against demons, that's a joyful thing. But the, like the battle itself is seldom joyful, right? Like mm-hmm. struggling through I things.
3: It, I think, I think that there is joy that joy can be resistance to. but you're right. It's not. It's not. It's not an easy. It's a hard one. Joy.
1: Hmm. It's
3: not a. Um, it's not a walk in the park. You know. <laughs> it's, you're right. There's there's difficulty and there's trauma. But to be honest, are we even able to appreciate or feel joy if we have not experienced struggle and misery and hardship? I don't know that we can fully. Right.
2: The, the song Eve Was Black, which you just won a Grammy for, I mean, obviously the most bracing uh, of uh, addressing that kind of topic. <clears throat> did you have any reluctance, I don't want to say is maybe the, the right but like hesitation about including that on the, on the rest of the record? Like, did you feel that it fit in with what you were trying to say as a whole?
3: Absolutely. I think that actually the backbone of the record is – there's are three songs, Eve Was Black, Snake Life, and Demons are the backbone of that record. Um, and Eve Was Black is very much a calling in, not a calling out. It's, it's a reminder of our shared and equal humanity. It is. It started as a poem, actually. To me. It's the first, It's of, of the songs on the record, most of them were written uh, in a three-month period, but Eve Was Black, Almost a year before, and it started as a poem, um, and then it turned into a ballet, and then I realized it was part of the Returner world. It was kind of the the final piece to make the album journey complete, and um, you know it began in its poem form as sort of an open letter to my adoptive father, who was the primary abuser of my childhood. But it is not, again, it's not a calling out and it's not a shaming. It's more of a reckoning and a song of forgiveness as well. It's saying, you know, I understand that you were brought up, that you were a child that suffered horrible abuses, including the abuse of a violent ideology that was, that he was adopted. You know, my adoptive father was born in 1936 in a sundown town in America You know, not too long after it was enshrined in the Constitution that black people were three-fifths of a human being, you know, the American Constitution, that uh, members of uh, the Tennessee GOP would have us say we should uh, go back to the original form of, uh, you know, it is, it is, uh, he was abused by that violent ideology, that violent ideology of white supremacy, and he was abused by a violent family. And unfortunately for him, he did not have the solace of songwriting. He did not have uh, a community of of chosen family and and, an artistic uh, people that he met who intervened and, and helped him have a different story in the way that I did. And so he just brought it all with him when he moved, when he emigrated to Canada and came to Montreal and courted my mother and adopted me and he brought it all with him. And I spent years in fear I spent years in anger I spent years trying to suppress that my my own history and experience and hating myself and all of the various things that you go through but in the end because of my chosen family because of my city of Montreal because of art because of the strength of my ancestors I imagine it too I was able to have you know to to. To love myself, to love my community, to love art, to find a way to survive and thrive beyond the misery that he put me through. And ultimately, as a mother, to find forgiveness for him and to be able to see that that is a child that was suffering, who grew up to do monstrous things, but that no one is a monster. And that's the other side of the demon song. No one is actually a demon, right? That's a metaphorical thing in that song. We are all capable of demonic behavior, every single one of us. Given being pushed hard enough with the right circumstances, every single human on the planet is capable of demonic, monstrous behavior. But we are not demons and we are not monsters. We are human beings. And even when we have done monstrous things, and we are seeing that on a global scale with the horrors that are unfolding in the Middle East, in Sudan, in Congo, in East Timor. We are seeing horrifically monstrous behavior yet we cannot fall into the pit, the trap of dehumanizing others because it dehumanizes us and we can't find solutions and we can't break the cycles of abuse if we do that. We just are doomed to repeat them like my adoptive father was. And so that song is really a reckoning with all of that and it is, it is a calling back into the circle of humanity, saying no matter what misery and horror lies between us, we are still one human family, no matter what dysfunction, and that's on a, a micro level in terms of my own personal experience. But it's on a macro level in terms of the of the traumas that we are still dealing with as as our one human family that we are struggling with um, dehumanizing each other for uh, 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 fallacies. You know, we are one human family. And we are connected, and we have a shared destiny on our one precious, life-giving planet that we know of in the entire universe, you know, despite billionaires thinking they can go off and colonize space or whatever.
2: Mm -hmm. Or or burrow into the ground. Uh, Yeah. You mentioned the circle of humanity, and one of the things you do talk about uh, in a couple interviews I read was circle work in terms of making the music. I'm wondering if you can kind of explain that for, for listeners, what you mean by circle work when it comes to making a record or to your art.
3: I mean that it is it is completely um, the whole is always greater than the sum of the parts. I think we have a problem. I know we have a problem with hierarchy <laughs> in 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 the ways we have organized our societies and the ways that we even the ways that we consume art. There is this this obsession with celebritizing uh, the lead singer, let's say, of a band, right, or even when you watch the average awards show, you can't even see the musicians that are in the house band. They're like 40 feet away from the so-called star who's in the spotlight, right? You don't even see the drummer. You don't even, that half the time you don't see who's playing bass. You don't see who's playing guitar, piano, or, you know, you, you can't even, you don't, you don't get to, for the little musicians in the audience watching, they don't get to see what's even happening. And so people have this almost like karaoke experience of what it means to make music, you know, and it is it is a collaborative effort. It is a microcosm for civilization. It is a microcosm for society. It's a microcosm for how we need to listen and to one another and leave space for one another in order to create something uh, that that benefits all and that and that is enjoyed by all and that also sounds good, you know, when people are just like. Only doing you can't you can't be in a band and just be all about only what you're doing where it sounds like utter crap. You know, <laughs> like there's no space left to hear the, the, the as we've all you know, we've all heard this old adage, but the music is as much in the space between the notes as it is in the notes itself. And we can't hear each other and we can't interact, and we can't have a conversation if we are not if we are unable to as much what someone else is bringing to the conversation as what we want to say. You know, we we we've all been in those conversations where you can tell the person is just waiting for us to stop talking so they can say. You know, they're, they're thinking about what they're going to say next instead of actually listening to what we're saying. We've all been in those conversations, and I think that that is what I mean by circle work: is that we we are equals creating something together. One, per- I might have written the song, but it doesn't mean that I am above or more important than sister strings who are writing the string arrangement for eve was black or elena canless and lisa coleman who are playing the keys on it like it's a conversation we are all equal participants and contributors to the to that musical conversation and that's what i mean by circle work and it's the same it shows the people that come to listen are as much a part of the show as those of us playing the music on stage
2: you mentioned sister strings. I, I was curious about kind of like, do you send them the song ahead of time, or do you work on the like, f- suss out the arrangements in a, in a situation like that, in the studio? Like, how do you, how do you work that out? Well, both.
3: In the case of the returner, it was both. We did a lot of pre production homework first. It, it, exactly where we demoed, um, Dim Star and I demoed sort of the bare bones of of the songs. And sent them around to the whole Rainbow Coalition, just the strings and, and Wendy and Lisa and um, Megan Coleman, Meg McCormick, Joy Clark, Vanessa James, Elena Kenlas, um, uh, and, and I'm forgetting somebody. Meg, did I say Megan Coleman? I, I think you did, yeah. Yelling. But it's, yeah. it's yeah. such the a the number of
2: people, I, I certainly can't fault yeah. you for next. There's
3: <laughs> 16 of us. Elizabeth Cooper Walker, we played all the percussion. uh Yeah, so we sent demos, and Larissa Maestro, of course, who also did who did the majority of the string arrangements, um, Sister Strings, who did the string arrangement on Eve with Black, and of course they played all of the string arrangements all together. So we sent those around Uh, probably the month before we got into the studio just for people to start getting them in their ears and thinking about things. But there is always, once we got, we we recorded the actual recording we did in six days um, at the old uh, A&M Studios, which is now Henson Studios in LA. So, so many good ghosts in those walls. You know, the old A&M Studios where Joni recorded Blue and Court and Spark and Carole King recorded Tapish. I mean, just endless brilliant, towering works of art were, were recorded in that hallowed place. Um, so lots of good mojo and, and good ghosts in the walls. Uh, but we only had six days to actually do the recording. So all of that preparatory work absolutely enabled us to do so. But also I cast the room with artists that I knew are are brilliant at improvised conversation and are brilliant at understanding that we are in circle work and that it's not about ego or perfection or um, self-involvement or assuming we know what's going to happen, that there's always, always leaving the door open for for magic and inspiration and moment. And so, yes, the bones of the songs were there and yes, the bones of the arrangements were there, but everything... Was fluid and conversational in the actual recording, and we sort of do the Neil Young Crazy Horse method of three three takes. And if you didn't get it, you move on. Mm. Generally, we would pick the second take, and then when we were happy with that, then we would layer, you know, then Sister Strings and Larissa Meister would go back in and layer on the you know the string part. And and they were Larissa wrote her her string arrangements in advance, as did sister strings but even then there were moments of improvisation and changing within the context of like how the song came together in the end so it was it was really really joyful because to have and that takes a high level of trust and communion and listening and also just virtuosity they're they're all such virtuosic players they can do that in the moment you know
2: right the, the three takes approach, is that just like expedience because you only had the six days or is that because at a certain point you're kind of like losing something? I think for me it's,
3: com- it, it's a combination of, of expedience, but also I have a superstition almost around beating a song to death in the studio. I, you know, and there's so many different ways. Like there's, I, I've never had the luxury of endless budget and endless time in the studio. You know, we've always been, um, working with a tight budget we've always you know (laughs) necessity is the mother of invention and uh and inspiration sometimes um i so i have a but i I do i think i also just have a superstition as a the way i approach recording is i don't want i don't want the song to feel lifeless i want to capture that moment where it all just, the conversation really comes together. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's rough around the edges. Maybe it has a lot of imperfections, but it feels alive and it feels real to me. And that's what the moment that I want to capture.
2: Well, Alison, I want to thank you for this conversation. But before I let you go, I want to get you to pick a song off the returner we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote, we'd love to hear that.
3: Okay, I think I would like to pick Ragchild because it's a deeper cut on the record, and it's uh, one of my favorites on the record, and it's kind of a spell. It's sort of like a um, a spell for the well-being of our one
2: human family. We could uh, all use to fall under that spell right now. Uh, coming to the Park Theatre March 3rd, Allison Russell, thanks very much for taking some time and safe travels.
3: Thank you so much. I can't wait, so much looking forward to coming back to Winnipeg.
1: Boo! Uh.
2: Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Right before the break, local artist Harper K. Smith with the Mutable Body remix of Not Sad, the original off of her new EP, 30 Candles, that dropped earlier this month. Before that, earlier this week, Charlotte Day Wilson dropped a new single called I Don't Love You. And uh, that set started off with Allison Russell's selection, Rag Child, from The Returner. A reminder that that show is March 3rd at the Park Theater opener ace and Abbey. really encourage you to go check that show out another show that she's put on your calendar march 29th at the john osborne anaf uh, that's on ellis over by polo park moon river this is a, a project that features gavin gardner of the wooden sky uh, i spoke to gavin and james from moon river earlier this week we won't air that interview for a couple weeks just to save it till it's closer to the show uh, but they're gonna be coming in to do a live session while they're in town uh, Secret Beach opening for them at that show. It's presented by Real Love Winnipeg. Going to play you Ten Thousand Suns from their new record, Volume One. Uh, and then we've got some some more new music. Uh, busy times. There's lots and lots of releases coming out right now. Um, pre-orders are up for this artist, Jasmine Myra. Fantastic jazz saxophonist out of the UK. Loved. Uh, Her first record and uh, was one of my favorite records a couple years ago. New record is called Rising. It'll be out on Gondwana Records later this year. And uh, today, earlier today, dropped the video and uh, advance purchase links for Rising. We got some Miranda Joan, Mirror Tree and more. Keep it locked here on UM 101.5 (laughs) UMFM.
0: Don't have to be afraid They can't hurt you anymore Let the past go up and flames.
4: L'éternel est mon berger, je ne manquerai de rien. Il me fait reposer dans des verts pâturages. Il me dirige près des eaux paisibles. Il restaure mon âme. Il me conduit dans les sentiers de la justice. À cause de son nom. Éternel. Éternel, éternel, éternel. jusqu'à la fin chauds. Il me dirige près des eaux physiques. Il me conduit dans les sentiers de la justice La cause de son nom à cause de son nom Quand je marche de la vallée, du nombre de la mort, je ne crains aucun mal, car tu es avec moi. Car tu es avec moi, je ne crains aucun mal. Et j'habiterai dans la maison de l'Éternel jusqu'à la fin de mes jours. Éternel est mon berger, je ne manquerai de rien. Non, je ne manquerai de rien. dans la vallée de l'ombre de la mort, je ne crains aucun mal, car tu es avec moi.